Good morning. Good morning. Oh. Too kind, and I'm very grateful. Thank you. <laughs> That's a great welcome, by the way. Listen, I'm thrilled to uh, be here. I'm going to be speaking to you for a little while this morning, and uh, so pleased. I would similarly just add my uh, welcome to you, particularly if it is your first time here. You are so welcome here. We love having guests amongst us, and um, I'm going to be doing the second part of a series that's new. It's going to take us all the way up to Christmas that Phil started last week, looking at an amazing book in the Bible called Acts. And so uh, if you would like to, you can open up your Bibles in front of you. We're going to look at Acts chapters 1 and chapter 2, and... Um, uh, Acts is written by a doctor, a guy called Luke, who wrote one other book in the Bible. Anyone know what it's called? You guys are sharp, aren't you? Very good. And so this, if you like, is the second part of what he started there. And what you'll know because of what Phil shared last week is that this is the amazing story of how God grabbed hold of just a handful of very ordinary people and then shaped and changed the whole of the face of the known world. And I'm convinced that God can do the same thing through us if he captivates us in quite the same way. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to try and summarize for a moment the first couple of chapters, and then we're going to dive into a couple of things that I think that God wants to speak to us about today, okay? So... What we pick up right at the start of Luke is that Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Now, if you are here for the very first time, you've got to realize that this is a very big deal. Because in the prequel, in the back end of Luke, we see that Jesus died. Okay, So this is quite a big deal. He's walking, talking, teaching, connecting with them. And so he'd had a crown of thorns around his head. He'd been whipped, flogged, beaten, pinned to a tree, left to die, spear through his side, put behind a huge stone, locked in a tomb. Three days he was dead. And yet remarkably, miraculously, transformationally, he came back to life. And right now we pick up a story where he is teaching and he's spending time with his disciples. And he says to them, gives them this great advance that says, look, I'm going to go, but something amazing is about to happen. So head to Jerusalem and wait there. And he tells them that they are going to be his witnesses. Witnesses in this city, witnesses in this region, witnesses even to the end of the world. And so right before them then, he's lifted up and goes into the clouds and into the sky. And the disciples are like, what has just happened? And uh, there's these two guys who rock up and say, don't worry. One day Jesus is going to come back in exactly the same way he left. But right now, you need to do what he said and go to Jerusalem. And so they head off to Jerusalem and they spend a little bit of time there. They're, they're, they're praying, they're connecting. And uh, they, they also find uh, a guy who can replace Judas as one of the apostles. And then chapter 2 kicks off with this remarkable scene where they're in uh, Jerusalem. And in the room they're in, there's this phenomenal sound like a mighty wind that starts pouring around them, almost like a tornado has suddenly come into the room. Now, this is the promised Holy Spirit engaging with those people at that time. And it even says, there's this pictorial language about how uh, each person had the Holy Spirit come and rest on them, and it was like tongues of fire were above them. And supernaturally, they were able to speak in other languages, even that other people would understand. Now, what happened at the time is that every single person was filled with the Holy Spirit. And what happened is that as this ruckus was all kicking off, people were running from all over Jerusalem to find out what on earth is going on. Some people were astonished and filled with joy. Other people thought that they were drunk. <laughs> now, at this time, there's this guy called Peter who steps forward to give a speech. And he's like, guys, don't worry. These people, they're not drunk. Actually, it's like 9 a.m. And uh, they're not drunk, but they're full of joy and they are full of the Holy Spirit. And this is actually what was prophesied, he shares, Years before, through a guy called Joel. 
who said that one day God will choose a time when he is going to fill every person with his spirit. It's almost like God is going to make accessible his very presence to come and rest and equip on people. And he even says these amazing words, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, apparently, Peter's a pretty good preacher because of these gathered people, 3,000 of them want to become Christians. And so he's he's like, look, listen to what Jesus did in his life. Listen to what happened when he died. Listen to now what he said to us now. You need to respond to him. 3,000. Am I right in saying that's a good day? That's a great day, isn't it? 3,000 of them are saved and added. And this is the launch of the church. This is where it all started. In this very moment is now what we are standing in the fruit of. It's quite incredible. So in some random crayon factory, you know, in the metropolis that is in Bedford, this started because of the fact that someone was willing to take God seriously at his word. You know what I'm convinced is that God wants to do similar things with us. And actually, as we allow the Holy Spirit to come and move and come and equip us, think of the transformation that we can see once more. So how about we pray for a moment? And, uh, and then we'll dive in. Does that sound all right? Yeah. Awesome. Lord Jesus, God, we recognize in this story, Lord, that you do extraordinary things with very ordinary people. But God, it's by your spirit and as we respond to you. And so, God, I want to ask, even this day, even right here, for me and every single person here, Father, would you come and speak to us? Holy Spirit, would you be close to us? And would you bring transformation, Lord, for your name and your glory's sake? In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, listen, I've covered a huge amount of ground in a couple of paragraphs there. But I've been looking and reading and rereading both chapters, 67 verses, and thinking, right, God, what is it that you're on for us today? And you know what he gave me? Three words. Okay? It's tucked away there in Acts chapter 2, verse 14. And it says this. It says, Peter stepped forward. That's it. Peter stepped forward forward. You see, it's simple, and it's profound, and I believe that it demands a response from us. You see, Peter was a fairly ordinary guy, but this very moment, as he stepped forward, was a turning point in the whole of human history. He was a a former fisherman, but that was his moment when he took his stand, when he chose to believe the promises of God, when he didn't shrink back, when he didn't wait for somebody else, When he chose, not even knowing what would happen, but that he would step forward. The question for us today is, will we? Will we step forward? Now, to understand how we got to that position, you've got to look back in the chapter first, though, okay? Because what we can see is that very clearly, Peter knew his mandate, and he was filled with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. God indwelt in him, and from that place... That's where he stepped forward. Now, have you ever wondered why you're here? I have. Now, my uh, coming to faith, my uh, becoming a Christian, uh, happened when I was in my mid-twenties in a very glamorous location. It was in the function room of the Georgian Dragon Pub in Bedford. 
And, um, you know, we're, we're upstairs. It's got a very sticky floor. It's got the slightly stale smell of beer, kind of, you know, in, that's kind of stuck to the, uh, to the walls there. And, and, and I'm there, and there's a special moment, and I hear someone speak about the gospel. I hear someone speak about Jesus and the amazing things that he's done. And, and in my heart, it's, it's, it's beating, and I know that I want this. I know that I want a relationship with God. And so as my heart's beating, I choose that moment to, to bow my head, close my eyes, and say for the first time in my heart, I'm all in. I want this. this I want a relationship with you. I want to uh, ditch my past knowing that you've forgiven it. I want to welcome you to empower my life going forward. And you know what happened at that point was that the, the roof opened. And through the clouds, there was this incredible beam of light which suddenly lit me up. And I felt this supernatural warmth and a, and a choir of angels singing in the background. And as I began to be lifted up to go and be with Jesus, I kind of looked down and thought, so long, dark world. No longer will I be tainted by your filth. And then I, actually, that, that didn't happen, all right? I, so I have this, this, this moment, and I kind of open my eyes, and still feet stuck to the floor, and still stale smell. And, and do you know what? Around me, nothing had changed. Everything inside me had changed. Everything inside me had changed. And you know, in this moment, I realized that I'd stepped into a relationship that I had been made for my entire life. More than that, I've got a job to do. There is a mandate on each and every one of us to pursue God. Now, uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus said to Peter and the disciples, You will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. And so he did this with, with the first disciples. And uh, we now are called to be. One of the reasons why we're not shot off immediately going to kind of be with him in heaven is the fact that we've got a job to do. Okay? We're his hands and feet. We're his ambassadors. Right? We now are there to carry his kingdom every single place that we go, to bring his rule and reign every place that you are. Whether that's in your neighborhood, with your, in your streets, whether that's in school, whether that's in college, whether that's in your workplace, whether it's in society, that's what we are here to do. Now, there was a, a point in my life, I'd maybe been a Christian a, a year or two, and I was just starting to come onto staff here at King's Arms in kind of administrative role, and I remember going to a, a regional meeting, a regional meeting of kind of leaders, uh, you know, church leaders from all around the place, and they were talking about church planting, and uh, they were talking about Rushton and Northampton and how they wanted to start a new church in those kind of places, and I remember Wendy Mann jabbing me in the ribs and being like, oh, Steve. You know, when are you going to go and plant a church? And you see, on the face of it, kind of gift mix-wise, it would seem to make sense that maybe I would do that. You know, I teach a little bit and can hear God a little bit, and, you know, I'm very administratively wired and so on. But the truth is that that pushed me to working out, actually, what is God saying to me? You know, where, where am I supposed to be? And what I felt like he said to me clearly time and time again is that this is my home right here. He's given me a love for this town, and he's given me a love for the people who are in this community. And so I felt like he said, look, King's Arms is where you're going to invest. And I want you to see it become a big and a healthy and an influential place. And that mandate for me has not changed. And I don't want to be apologetic about it. I want this to be a very big church. I do. Do you know why? Because every single person who's here is representative of an individual and a life that's been touched, and a life that's been changed. And I don't want to be apologetic about that. You know, this last week, um, I started with the, the, kind of the, the team, the Alpha and the Beta course here, in, uh, kind of both in the daytime on Wednesday and the evening on Tuesday. Do you know what? I love it. 
I love it because people have the opportunity of coming in and just exploring faith. And you've got people from every different kind of background just taking the opportunity of exploring. I know there are even people here who came along on Tuesday night here with us now. And you know, I remember chatting even then to people who were here in this building for the very first time. Isn't that incredible? I chatted to, to one guy who uh, I, I said to him, look, hey, what, why, why did you kind of come along uh, this evening? And uh, he said to me, well, it's weird. I was with my kind of Christian, Christian friend here, and, and you know, we, we were out and we were, we were chatting, and I just said to him, do you know what? I'd find it really helpful if, uh, if there was just this, some course that I could just go on or something where I could just find out, is God really real? I've got a whole lot of questions. And the guy's like, alpha, 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 you know? We had, um, we had one lady who, who's been coming here a, a little while now and just say to us, you know, I've been, been coming for a few months and, you know, I, I just love the worship. I like, feel like I'm coming to a concert every week, but I'm not a Christian. So I decided to do Alpha to find out about that. And, um, you know, it, it's strange because my family, they're really pleased about it because they've been praying for me for 25 years, <laughs> which I thought was brilliant. And, you know, the privilege of, of moments like this is that and you know, one of the reasons why I'm intentionally not using names in any of these stories is that I met one precious lady who, who isn't from this country, and uh, you know, she's fallen on a real difficult time recently, but she kind of came in and she just shared with me that you know, for 20-odd years since she had a daughter, she was carrying, she was pregnant with her daughter when her husband committed suicide. And she's like, you know what, I don't really know how I ended up here. I don't really know what this is about, but I'm really glad I did. Said, you know what, guys? Every number... Every individual is important. And you've got to know that that's significant in the midst of it. Every single person is representative. And so I feel like I personally have a mandate to, to share the gospel. And, and you know, I also know that we as a church have a mandate. So right now, over the last few weeks, I've been sharing it with you. that We feel like God's speaking to us about how in this season, he wants to get deep inside of us so that we would be a joy-filled house of prayer and worship, honoring him first and foremost. And from that foundation, that he will build a strong and a healthy church such that we would then go and carry his love like a tsunami into every one of the difficult and complicated and even hard places that we possibly could. I believe he's spoken. And do you know what? Right here, right now, I'm all in. I don't want to go anywhere else. This is where we're supposed to be. And I'm in the midst of it thinking, right, what do we do now? What is it that we can step forward in? How is it that you're going to respond to God in the midst of these opportunities as well? Peter steps forward because he has a mandate, okay? But he doesn't do it alone. See, I would even say to you, honestly, I'm not stood in front of you trying to convince you of anything. Because that's the Holy Spirit's job. It's the same Holy Spirit that three, uh, all these years ago that touched those 3,000, and it's the same Holy Spirit that equipped the earliest believers, and it's the same Holy Spirit that is right here, right now. And ultimately, that's his job. The Holy Spirit is known by a whole number of different names in the Bible. But the most important thing is that we know that which we do for God, we want to do with God. Okay? If we kind of charge off in our own direction, we've missed something. But the Holy Spirit empowers us and engages with us as we reach out and do some of these things. You see, he's known as the comforter, the counselor, the advocate, a guide, a teacher. He's the one by whom we're able to prophesy and move in power and supernatural gifts. And it's not just that he's asked us now to do witnessing. He said, be a witness. And he's the one who makes that possible. He's the one who enables us to do all we're called to do. And so if you need courage right now, if you even want a love for people, in your heart right now. If you want joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, these are the fruits 
of what it means to connect with the Holy Spirit and to see his hand grow on your life. And uh, as I said, that this promise that came through Joel is still available for us right now. It's the Holy Spirit who empowers us to do each of these things. And so Peter stepped forward in this defining moment, not out of duty, not out of obligation, not out of guilt. Because honestly, guys, those things are terrible motivators. They are. Peter stepped forward because he was full of the Spirit. He was full of love. And he knew that he had a mandate, a job to do. (laughs) Man alive, 3,000 people. I want to see 3,000 people respond to Jesus. I'm just being honest with you. Like, I, I want to, in Bedford, preach the gospel and see 3,000 people respond. And you know what? I've been asking God for it. Like, I was awake at 3 a.m. In the, in, in the night just thinking about some of these things. And I'm like, God, you know what? I want to do that. I want to be like Peter. And, and you know what? I'm going to trust him with it. But I don't know whether we all can, to be honest with you. But this made me think about a, a story about a guy called Albert McMakin. You ever heard of Albert McMakin? Ah, see, I heard this story a few years ago, and it's such a brilliant story. You see, Albert McMakin made his mark on human history in 1934 in uh, Charlotte of North Carolina. Now, at the time, he was a Christian, and uh, he was reaching out to, alongside a whole bunch of other people, a 16-year-old, a very attractive young man who loved baseball. And uh, he was reaching out to them at the same time, and at this point, because of the fact that he just simply wasn't interested, he was always like, away from me with this nonsense, Albert said, right, look, hey, if you come along to the, the meeting that I'm going along to, where there was an evangelist called Mordecai Ham speaking, he was like, I'll let you drive the McMakin family vegetable truck, all right? So he basically said, look, you drive the truck, you get the opportunity of sitting behind the wheel, and then you can come. And uh, he was like, fine, I'll take it. And so this 16-year-old drove the truck, sat at the very back of the meeting, and was captivated by the words of this evangelist. And for a whole month, he sat and sat at the back, interested. And then he was the final person out of 400 who that final night stepped forward to give his life to Christ. Now, this man is still alive today. He's 98 years of age. Now, over the last 80 years, he's probably led more people to Christ than anyone who has ever lived. And he's probably talked in person, about Jesus to more people face-to-face than anyone has talked about anything face-to-face. His name was Billy Graham. Now, the truth is that few people on earth will have heard of Albert McMakin. But, you know, in heaven, in heaven, I think Albert's going to look around and he's going to see the fruit of his courage and his obedience and his moment to step forward, and he's going to see the fruit of Billy Graham's ministry. And in that moment, I think he's going to realize that it was all worthwhile. You know, witnessing doesn't just start at the ends of the earth. Witnessing starts with our neighbors. It starts next door, okay? Now, if we're going to see a tsunami of love extended, it's going to take every single one of us to play a part. It's going to take every single one of us to reach out to the lost, the last, and the least. You know, two weeks ago, I was out on the street. I sometimes uh, do this or try and do it on a regular basis. And on this particular occasion, I'd had a number of people come from a different church. They're like, hey, look, we want to see what you do. And so I've been chatting to the church, church leader who was with us. And uh, I said to him, right, what do you want to grow in? He's like, okay, I, want, I really want to grow in hearing God's voice. And I really want to grow in courage. 
I was like, all right, great. That's, that's, a, that's a good start. We're wandering around thinking, right, how can we do these things? And we go outside of the library in that kind of square that's there in Bedford, and we see a, a large group, I'd say eight or ten different people, 16 to 18, looking pretty intimidating. And I was like, all right, maybe they're our people. Maybe they're who we can demonstrate courage toward. And so uh, we, we, we did this a simple tool where we basically like, right, God, what do you want to say to them? What, what do you want to pick out? And so I drew a little, in my mind, just a kind of little map, almost like an X-ray of someone's body, and asked God, right, where do you want to zoom in on so that I can go and bring it as a word of knowledge? And so he and I both did it, and I felt like there was someone who had a problem in the center of their back and uh, with the, on the spine. And he felt like there was someone who'd had a, an operation, and, uh, but the operation, when it was meant to fix something, actually made it worse, and it's not got better. So that's all we had. We approached this group of young people, and uh, we're like, hey, guys, I know this is strange. I know this might seem awkward, but feel like God might be wanting to pick one of you out. Who's the person with the problem with their back? And who's the person who um, has had a problem with, their, with their, uh, an operation and then it hasn't got better? Anyway, so uh, to be honest with you, a lot of people then were very cynical. We're somewhat mocking, you know, we're like, what are you on about? You guys are crazy fools. And uh, I'm, I'm okay with that, by the way. But we're like, look, okay, if that doesn't make sense, really sorry, not a problem. But does it make sense to anyone? And then one girl put her hand up and she was like, I think that might be me. I've got a problem in the center of my back and I've had an operation on my eyes, which was supposed to make them better. Um, but actually it's got worse. And they've said now that it's incurable. And we were like, all right, it's, maybe it's you. And the thing about this situation was that, honestly, there was a, such a big chunk of people being like, what are you on about? Laughing, mocking. One of the guys is, is literally snorting drugs within about two meters of me at the same time as we're having this conversation. Now, we, we say, look, hey, is it okay if I pray for you? So she, she's very fine with that. I kind of put my hand on her back and we, and we pray. You know what happens? Nothing. In fact, it did, because she then, she then said to me, do you know what? Because I, I, I prayed a couple of times, I got to check it out. She was like, yeah, my back's actually feeling worse. <laughs> Which, so I was like, this is not encouraging me right now. And you know, I'd, I'd love to say there was a be- better answer in that moment, but there wasn't. But what happened then? What happened then was that there was another guy alongside her. It turns out to be her boyfriend, a guy called Sam. And uh, so I... I just sort of said to him, hey, have you ever had someone sort of pray for you before? And he seemed to just be warm, just seemed to be interested. And so uh, we kind of went off to one side as they were still kind of laughing and joking. And uh, um, I said to Sam, hey, mate, has anyone ever shared with you the gospel? And, you know, I took the opportunity to say, you know, he's, he's, I said, I haven't. You know, so I told him about Jesus. I told him about his life. And I, I told him about how he, how he died and how he rose again and how he's you know, interested in people's lives. And that through him, we might know forgiveness. Through him, we might know hope and peace in our hearts. And we can have an eternal security. And it's like, man, and I'm, and I'm watching him as his eyes are getting bigger. And he's leaning into the hope that I'm talking about. I said to him, mate, do you, you want to you give your life to Jesus right now to follow him? And in that moment, in that square, he chose to become a Christian and follow him. Now, now here's, here's the thing, okay? I believe that God preordained even those moments to be able to talk to him. But do I, can I stand in front of you and say that now he's a, he's a disciple of God, he's, he's saved, he's added, and, and, and he's now growing his relationship? Honestly, I can't do that because I don't know. And so, so I'd, I'd exchange contact details and I haven't heard from him since. But I, I, I can't communicate to you that he was saved because I, I don't know. And to be honest with you, I don't know if you are either. <laughs> Ultimately, salvation belongs to the Lord, okay? I can't save anybody. What I can do is glorify him and give people the opportunity of, of connecting that relationship. Does that make sense? But, you know, oftentimes there's more that meets the eye that's going on. 
Let me tell you about a friend of mine. Um, a year ago, there's a guy called Matthias who's recently left this, this church to go and uh, be part of one in Switzerland. Great guy. And he was out on the streets as well. And uh, he, he met a guy, just bumped into him, approached him on the way back from his dad's own funeral. He knew that it was a delicate moment. And uh, he, he chatted to him, and with the friends that he was with, they shared a bit of their story. He said he really felt God's presence. And in that moment, they simply said to him, look, do you, do you want to take a step and put your trust into Jesus? And he said, yes. Now, Matthias then, back and forth for a week or so, was, was texting him. And then suddenly the text dried up. Didn't know what was going on until a full year later when this guy got in touch and he said, said to him, hey, sorry I haven't been in touch. I've connected with another church. I've, been, I've done an Alpha course. I'm getting baptized this week. Would you like to come? Oh, now, now, sometimes, you know, we don't know what's going on. And, and tell you what I won't do. I won't stand here and even say that, that the guy, that his life is even perfect or, or, or that there aren't challenges right now. I'm sure there are. But the point is, we don't know what's going on, guys. And it's so important that we actually take the decision to, to just trust God with them. Does that make sense? Now, you might be thinking to yourself, where do I start? All right, I do want to be this tsunami of love. What I do is I walk around and then I wait for this bright red arrow, which often comes down. It smacks someone right in the forehead. And then as soon as I've seen them with the arrow on them, I know that that's the person that I'm going to approach, right? And that's happened never. (laughs) All right? It doesn't. Oftentimes, all I'm doing is responding to a little bit of a, a warmth towards someone. I feel like I've got faith for someone. And I tell you that, that Simon and Caroline Holly so um, provoked me and helped me on one particular occasion. See, they'd come to a birthday party that we'd been celebrating. And um, that particular night, there was lots of people they knew there. And um, they sat down alongside a couple of people that we'd invited who actually didn't know anybody else. They sat down along, alongside them. They weren't Christians. They weren't believers. And they had a drink with them. And they bought them things. And they laughed with them. Entire evening, they sat down with them. At the end of the night, I was like, guys, that was so, so helpful. It was so good of you to just realizing that these guys would be a little bit lonely. You've, you've had uh, the whole evening just investing in them. And, and they kind of looked at me slightly confused. And were like, well, that's just standard party etiquette, isn't it? And I was like, that absolutely should be standard party etiquette, shouldn't it? see, what would the king's arms look like if standard king's arms etiquette is that we go after the lost, the lonely, and the least? Start with the person who looks lonely. Start with the person that sits on their own. Start with a smile and a hello. That's how the tsunami of love is going to travel, I believe. Now, the stepping forward can do different things, okay? Because we can do that in every area of our lives, whether it's over a desk or over a, over a bar or at the checkout counter, we can express and extend love. But there'll be some people here who, who for you, it just stands out that you realize that these 3,000 people then got baptized. Now, this is Discipleship 101. If you, are, if you are a Christian here, the first thing that God tells you to do, the first thing that Jesus calls you to is to be baptized. That's your first hurdle. And there will be people in here who are like, I am a follower of Jesus. I haven't been baptized. Honestly, I would provoke you. Your stepping forward moment is to say, I'm going to sign up to go along to the baptism prep night that we have. And there's a baptism opportunity coming up in just a couple of months. Guys, flag it. Don't miss the opportunity for you to respond as well. And do you know what? Just to say, you do not have to give a testimony. I love it when people do, but that's not the important thing. That gives glory to God in a different way. The important thing is your response to say, I will get baptized because I love and I follow Jesus. Now, let me finish with this, okay? My third point is that we can all step forward in this moment 
by way of our financial giving as well. Okay? We can. That is one of the opportunities we have right now and right here in this day. Now, I just want to be honest with you and say that um, for Philip and I right now, finances are as tough as they've been for a long while. We, we've done an extension this year, thrilled by it, but it's, it's just cost us several thousand pounds more than we kind of had or expected. And um, in addition to that, Philip, we've obviously had a, had a new baby. Oliver's joined the family. He's like 13 weeks old. And, and Philip is therefore on, on maternity leave. And uh, in the midst of that, I've, I've recently closed down completely the business that I've been running kind of side by side for a few years, as well as my work here. And so things are just tight. They're just tight. But what I realize is that in the midst of my wanting to contribute, that also gives me an opportunity to be creative, and it gives us an opportunity to say, look, what does it look like in this moment for our hearts to remain connected, even though financially things might look a little bit complicated? You see, here's what I mean by this. Right away across this room, what, you, what I would expect to see and likely see is different numbers, but the same sacrifice. Different numbers, the same sacrifice. For some people here, they might come forward and, and put five pounds in that envelope. Praise God for that. There'll be other people here who can put 5,000 in that envelope. There'll be some might even be able to give 50,000. The point actually isn't the amount. It's what's God doing in our hearts through this. And, and understand that this is a big deal for me because my backstory, having become a Christian, was one of, of significant personal debt. Okay? So I became a Christian at 24. I was 27 when I started to realize that this was a, a massive problem. And to be honest with you, I was just embarrassed and I was ashamed. And I regretted the fact that I'd made so many stupid decisions. So... Up, up behind me, you'll, you'll see a, a, a sheet. And uh, the sheet basically was something that I put together in response to some prophetic words. I had two people prophesying. In fact, one's Phil and one's John. And both of them, outside of each other, came to me. In fact, Phil didn't even know me at all at the time. And certainly I had no idea because no one did about the debt I was in. Began to prophesy that I would know a, a, a wisdom and an ability to get out of this. And God was going to do it in it and with me. Okay? Now... At this time, I had become a Christian. Now, when I'd become a Christian, I knew that I wanted to give back into this community. And I remember the offering baskets come round. And that, that first moment when I was like, do you know what? I'm now a big gun. I'm going to put in a note. And I was like, that's right, everyone. Right here. Right. I was kind of, you know, that kind of moment. I was like, check it out. Yeah, that right here. Contributor. Note in that basket. And then, you know, there's a guy um, who called Ewan who, who, who invested in me significantly in those kind of early months and years. And he took me out bowling kind of one evening and simply to say, he was, you know, we were, we were chatting and we were just doing life together. But, you know, I'm so thankful for him because he was willing to challenge me on some things. And he was, he was saying, hey, look, these behaviors and the way you are in that relationship, maybe that's not the best way for you. And in the midst of that, he was like, actually, tell me about your giving. Have you started thinking about it yet? And I was like, oh, well, I hadn't. And he talked about how he would give his first fruits, the, the, the first money that they would get from, for the family. They would give that to God. That's the way that the Bible talks about us doing it. And so I, I, I thought, oh, right, okay, so you're supposed to do it in secret. You're supposed to do it as first fruits. Probably that £10 wasn't a good idea, right? And so I, set, I remember setting up a direct debit. £50 a month was the, was the first uh, standing order that I set up. And then a little while later, it went up to 100 and to the point where it's increased over numerous years so that Philippa and I give significantly over and above what I believe is, 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 is a kind of base level, we give significantly each and every month. First fruits, it goes to him. Now, understand that it was in the midst of this that this was going on, okay? I'd got myself into such a hole that I had five credit cards, overdraft, personal loan, I owed money to, to different family members. I'd never even looked at how much it was. I was terrified. But yeah, I, I went to God and I was like, okay, if you said... If you said that I'm going to be free of this stuff, I, I tallied it up, and it was, as you'll see behind me, it was £10,000-odd, £10,511.71. This is outside of student debt, 
This was in the July of 2007. So I was like, I, I don't know how to do this. I'm only just paying the interest. But I was, I was like, okay, well, what I will do is I'll commit to praying. And every Thursday, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write down how much I am, where I'm at. And through that season, God so blessed me. I was a web designer at the time. And I just had a, it wasn't that anyone suddenly rocked up with a check and said, hey, here you go, I'm going to pay off your debt. It didn't do, it didn't happen like that. But he just blessed me. And so, you know, there were certain clients that said, hey, you know what, we, we actually uh, could do with a, a redesign. We know it's not really necessary, but we could do with it. Can we pay for you? And, um, you know, there was some, someone else who, who was like, you know what, we could do with you building a website for us, but can you build it next year? And can we pay you for two years in advance? And there was just numerous times when things like this would happen. But I had said to God, look, would you clear that debt by the 1st of the 1st, 2008, five months later? Okay. And then this happened. You see, every week I would get to the point where I'd write down exactly where each account was, and I was looking at it, and I, I, I got to the third of the first, 2008, and for the very first time in over nine years, my balance I got down to the bottom was in the black. God, it's a miracle. Honestly, I do not know how he did it. I just, I, I just don't know how he did it. In the midst of that, I proposed to my wife, bought a brilliant engagement ring. In the midst of that, I gave to a gift day. In the midst of that, I was giving regularly to my church. Now, I don't know how God did it, but I'm so very grateful that he did. And you know what? Honestly, I think he can do it again. But what's fascinating is that this area is probably a great breakthrough for me, but also has been a real challenge. Now, these two little pots down here are what my um, kids came back with just a couple of weeks back. And uh, they came back with the kids, and they'd drawn a little picture on the side. And I said to James, oh, you know what, what's on the pot? It's like, this is our family. I love them, the, love them uh, all so much that I thought I'd draw a picture on the side, and I love Oliver the most. Like, you're just too sweet. And um, I was like, oh, he said to me, look, can we, can we put some money in the pot? And I was like, oh, what's it for? And he's like, I don't know. And I said, no. You cannot put any money in the pot. And uh, then he said to me, uh, oh, daddy, daddy, the money's, money's for church. And, um, uh, and he, he, he turned to his sister, Lexi, and said, you know what, Lexi, if daddy won't give us any, it's fine. I'm going to go and get my wallet. And he got up, and he went and go and get his, bless him, he went and go and get, got, got his wallet, and he came back, and he emptied out the whole thing into these two pots. And, you know, Alexi was like, it's fine, James, I've got mine. And she grabbed hold of her little delicate bunny purse, and she put the whole thing into these two pots. And I'm like, guys, I love you so much. I love you so much. Tell me, what, it, what is it about? And he said, like, he said to me, it's, it's, it's for church, it's to help people get there. And I was like, well, it is that. Let me tell you some more. And we, and we talked about it, and we talked about the fact that this, this pot right here, is, it represents the fact that we want to see people encounter and love on Jesus. I said that this pot is, it is around the fact that we want to have a healthy church where you know, people get to know God, even for the very first time. You know, throughout the whole week, he and his sister have been just doing little jobs. And every little job they do, they've been able to sort of take a coin and put it in the pot. And I'm thinking we should do this all the time if they're just, you know, cleaning our kitchen for us. And, you know, it's fascinating because there, there was this moment where I was like, mate, I'm so proud of you. And I said to him, mate, I, I'm, I'm never, I'm going to make you a promise. I'm never going to stop you giving to God. You know, no matter whether he's emptying the entire pot, if, if, you, if, that's what you, if that's what you want to do, it's your decision. But if you want to do that, I'm never going to stop you. I said to him, mate. I looked at the time, and I looked at him, and I said, mate, after bath time, I think we've got time to read some Bible. And he looked at me and said, Dad, can we read some Star Wars instead? <laughs> <laughs> which I just thought, which I just thought was, was absolutely priceless. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, though, okay? Some of you are thinking, look, all that money, it, it, maybe it wasn't very much, and maybe it was all yours anyway. Maybe it all belonged to his dad. Let me quote two verses for you. 
you're absolutely right. James 1 says, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father. Psalm 24.1 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So whatever was mine has come from him anyway. The Bible also teaches, Proverbs 22, that we should teach our children the way they should go. And so Philippa and I have been mindful of the fact that they've been a provocation to us. Now I want to respond. Now James has recently started going to a football training. And uh, in, 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 in going there, to be honest, my heart is actually just to connect with some people. I want to make some friends with the other dads. And so what I have been doing is just making friends with them and, and, and getting to know them a little bit. But what I realized on one morning when I came out of the football was that these guys are very wealthy. One of which is an eye surgeon. The other has a very uh, posh designer business of making 3D models of, of building projects in London. And I got inside my very beaten up 13-year-old Corolla, Toyota Corolla, and I was kind of parked alongside one of these guys in their brand spanking new Mercs. And I had this pang. I don't know whether you get it. And I think it's kind of part jealousy, part embarrassment, kind of part, I don't know. I'm just kind of like, there were different feelings going inside of me. Maybe I was even a little bit ashamed. You know, in that moment, I had to take some time and work out what have I done with the money that God's given And I was reminded of a quote by a guy called C.T. Studd, where he said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I want to tell you something, guys. I've never regretted giving. I've regretted so many stupid decisions of stupid things that I've spent money on in the past. I've never regretted giving. I still don't. Let me tell you a quick story about our bus. One of the things that we want to replace, the King's Arms Project do an amazing work here. One of the things that they do is to help people through a scheme called Pathways to Employment. And um, they, they basically take people to give them confidence and, and life skills such that they might help stand on their own feet. Now, Pathways to Employment use the bus regularly that we have here. And there was one uh, lady from, uh, from the project team who was sharing with me earlier this, this summer. And she said there was an occasion when a guy who they were reaching out to stepped onto the bus, went straight to the back, head down, full of shame, just didn't, want to dis- just didn't want to connect with us. And he sat there, and uh, at, at the same time as they were doing these courses, he, his confidence grew, and, and he started showing a little bit more life about him. And you know, There was one occasion when she did start to, start to chat with him, and his, his, his response uh, as they were talking is he shared that he, he was sleeping rough, he was in a difficult situation, and he just didn't understand why people treated him the way they treated him, and even to the point where I just don't understand why people would just urinate on me when I'm sleeping rough. It's like, I'm a, I'm a person, do they not realize that? And it was, it was just a few weeks later that he bounded into that same minibus and he sat right at the front with a beaming face to say, they found me a flat. They found me a flat. And the joy in that, of his heart. And Alice had said to me that she, she met him here once. And she's like, oh, hey, it's great to have you here in, in, in the coffee shop. What's going on? He said, well, do you know what? I was walking out and I was walking into town and I realized that I was going there to do a bad thing. I felt like something stopped me. I turned around and I wanted to come here for a hot chocolate. <laughs> it's an incredible thing, guys. And you know, my story, just as we land, is like this. I look here, the church I've been part of for maybe 12 years now, and I, and I believe this is my legacy. I believe it's yours as well that God got hold of a handful of people 25 years ago and he put on their heart that Bedford would be touched 
And right here, right now, we get to stand the fruit of that. And so every person who comes in and says, there's something different about this place. I can feel a, a tangible presence of God. Every life that's changed, every marriage that's restored, is because of the fact that we've been able to sow in to something which will outlast us and echo into eternity. This is the contribution, and this is the thing that I'm so proud to say I've played a part in. Now we're going to respond, and I can, would love to the band to come back if that's all right, Andy. Here's what we're going to do, guys. In a moment, we're going to stand and sing, okay? And we're going to stand and sing to engage with the wonder and the truth that at that point, Peter's obedience, Peter's stepping forward has had this ripple effect that has echoed through the whole of history such that we can stand here today knowing freedom and hope and joy because of what Christ done in us. It was because he stepped forward. Now, what is it today that you want to step forward in? What is it? Maybe it's getting baptized. Maybe it's the realization that actually it's going gonna, it's gonna to take us all to become the things that God's calling us to be in this, this situation. And maybe God's calling you for you, you to play a part and join with us to say, financially, I'm going to sow into eternity. But this is how we're going to land, okay? Is that as we all stand together, we're going to sing one song through just to honor and glorify God as we ask him, what is our next step? But if you are a parent here, what I'm going to ask is that you go very quickly, pick up your children and then bring them back in here to join us because we're going to worship with them. And then after we've sung the first song, Phil's going to stand and invite everyone who wants to, to come and bring their gifts to sow into what God wants to do here. Okay.